the technology industry. These these guys were all on acid and mushrooms and coming out of the the hippie zippy movement, and, and they really were opening the doors of perception. And then they were f- with computers at the same time. Yeah. And you know, imagine you're tripping on acid, and you, you know you're also like using new technology for the first time. You're like, hey, I have some interesting ideas here. We should make yeah. a mouse. It's like what, a mouse? What? <laughs> yeah, it's like a little thing. You move it around. It moves the pointer. Like literally, a lot of these innovations happen from. 60s radicals you know um you know coming up with really interesting ideas this week in startups is brought to you by linkedin jobs a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash twist dot tech domains has a new program called startups.tech where you can get your company featured on this week in startups Go to startups.tech slash Jason to find out how. And Supergut is the only nutrition brand clinically proven to improve digestion, balance blood sugar, sustain energy, and manage weight. Save 25% on their delicious shakes, bars, and prebiotic mix at supergut.com with code TWIST. All right, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. As you know, AI has had a blistering year or two here in Silicon Valley. And one of the reasons is we have so many amazing developers and the tools for developers to build interesting stuff have gotten better and better. Uh, And one of those tools that you hear about all the time is Replit, R-E-P-L-I-T. In fact, I decided to get into coding and I was talking to my friend Sonny and he's like, oh, just open Replit, do this, blah, blah, blah. And so I started playing with it and I started taking their uh, 100 day Python course got to day three or four, and decided, you know what, I don't have the time to do this well, it's gonna be incredibly (laughs) frustrating for me. But it's super inspiring uh, to see how many people are getting into coding and how, uh, you know, these um, uh, IDEs, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, have really made that possible for many more people. Amjad Massad is the co-founder and CEO of Replit, and he joins us today. Amjad, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. Good to be back on the show. We actually did a show a really long time ago. We did? That's the first yeah. time this has ever happened. When did we do the show? Um, in 2018 or 19. Really? We're oh, my Lord. Baby company, small startup. I mean, at the time, there was like tons of skepticism whether what we're doing is useful, whether people would want to use it. Or this idea we're putting out that a lot more people would want to learn how to code. A lot more people would want to make a make a career out of it. Oh, uh, right. Now, now I remember. You came on yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you had just raised on. your Series A. Oh, yeah, yeah. 2020. Early on 2020. It's 2020. Yeah. 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 Um, so IDEs. Why mm-hmm. are these important? You know, when you're uh, for any type of uh, job, there's a environment that you need for that job that's both in physical life you know if you're doing something with your hand you need a workbench mm-hmm. uh and software you know if you're an accountant your environment perhaps is an excel spreadsheet or any form of the new spreadsheets now coming out if you're a developer um your environment is either some kind of homegrown combination of a Linux terminal and an editor and homegrown scripts and all of that, which traditionally been the case, or what's called an integrated development environment. And that's basically bringing together a lot of tools that make it easy to write, debug, test, and run software. Hmm. 
and a lot of features are starting to get added to that. I think since the last time we spoke, um, co-pilots, uh, you call mm-hmm. yours ghost rider, mm-hmm. um, and training, obviously a, a lot of different features get added to this. So before these IDEs, people would do what they would have just a collection of, um, tools on their desktop. Yeah, basically it's, 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 you know, the, the traditional view on this is that I just need an editor. I just need mm-hmm. a place to type code. I'm such a hardcore coder. I just need Vi, you know, or Vim or Emacs. And then, um, you know, I'm just going to like run my code and run compilation of my code. I get whatever errors out of that. and I'll go back to my editor and fix that. Mm-hmm. And that workflow kind of worked for a lot of people. It's sort of hard. It's hard to figure out. It's hard to figure out all these tools. But, you know, that, that became for whatever reason, the industry standard. And uh, at some point, uh, I think Microsoft would probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure some some history buffs can correct me on this, but uh, Microsoft really mainstreamed the idea of of an IDE, and Visual Studio was one of the their bigger yeah. products uh, early on, and so they they put a lot of effort into making the development experience on Windows, uh, and that's something, by the way, it's missing in the history of Silicon Valley, like how much of success of these companies, Apple included, and Microsoft, is about really building the best development environment in the world. You know, Apple puts a lot of work into Xcode, into their SDKs and their APIs, and Microsoft has done the same. Now, when the shift happened towards more open source and Linux and Unix, we we lost a lot of that. And, mm-hmm. and we went back to this hodgepodge of tools, figure it out yourself. And, People would use you know, a text editor, essentially, like Vim's a text editor at its core, exactly. basically. It's like a stripped-down word processor. Exactly. And, and you could, like, add things to it. You can script it, whatever. Some people enjoy that process. But it, it really sort of hindered um, a lot of people from accessing this, this field because the first thing you see is this blank terminal thing. Yeah, uh, It doesn't look intuitive. It doesn't look like anything you would want to do anything in. Um, and so Replit's initial product was that not only we're going to make this uh, IDE on top of open source software, everything from the ground up is open source uh, that we're building on, but also we're going to put it in the browser. Or we're going to make mm-hmm. it so easy. You're going to go, again, like your friend, anyone today is like interested in kicking the tires, doing something with software, you just go to Replit, sign yeah. up in a few minutes, and you have an environment, and you can start coding. Yeah, and... The ability to have a co-pilot um, yeah. and to debug has taken some of the harder aspects of being a coder, especially if you're a solo coder. Um, That's right. It's changed things dramatically. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the impact of, I think, I don't know what you call debuggers that explain why this is wrong and how sophisticated they've gotten. It's not just reporting back like, here's the error. They've gotten more sophisticated than that. So maybe a, a little bit yeah. on both sides of that, the, the, the ghost rider, the co-pilot, and these more sophisticated debugging tools. Yeah, again, going back to Microsoft and actually some microsystems, and uh, if you know it as an investor in Replit right now, but uh, there's a lot of these bigger companies, what they've done with Java or C Sharp or these development environments, is they built what was called IntelliSense at the time. It's sort of this classical AI that figures out the symbols in your application. And, la- and gives you these autocomplete tools that help you kind of type less and for mm. the computer to help you kind of debug your code and give you some intelligence. Of course, it's all classical intelligence. So it's all symbolic, right? Like it's all algorithm- algorithmic. We're trying to find 
um, you know, we're, we're creating this parse tree. We're trying to find the structure between the code. It's really, really hard stuff. And I worked on this stuff for a long time at, at mm. Facebook and, and other companies. Um, the thing that was missing this whole time is that actually you could represent code statistically. Mm. Uh, and in, you can apply the same methods we apply in natural language. So NLP, natural language processing on code. And this was not obvious to a lot of people for a long time. There was a paper that I think was sort of a seminal paper in this era called On the, on the Naturalness of Software in 2012. Mm. And it presented the idea that you can actually look at software as sort of like natural language. It's very repetitive. It has certain structures. It has certain semantic. Um, and then you had the deep learning revolution. People started applying natural language processing, uh, 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 applying deep learning on natural language processing. And then you get into what happened with GPT, you know, starting with Transformers, BERT, and then GPT-2. That's when, to me, it started looking obvious that, okay, these tools are going to completely disrupt how we write code. It's going to change the mechanics of how the machine can help us write code, how we can mm. become more productive. Uh, and so we actually started build, building on top of that um, really early on. Uh, and we were like the first major company at, outside of Microsoft to release a Copilot type product. And we did it in a way that we didn't actually rely on OpenAI. We actually did an open source model and we trained our model and we open sourced it as well. Um, and that technology now has become accessible such that really anyone, anyone can do it. So how does it change software? Well, for one, our, uh, autocomplete tools become a lot more, um, powerful, right? You type a little bit of code, you type even natural language command and AI based on its training, based on reading all of GitHub and all of open source code out there. It knows that, you know, every time you are importing this library and you're kind of doing this function that way that you probably wanted to do it to, to write the rest of the code in this way. So it'll, prevent, mm. it'll present a suggestion. So that's the sort of copilot interaction, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, so, so that's really a typing aid at the end of the day. It's really helping you type less. Creating a job and finding qualified candidates. It's so time consuming. Don't I know it? Oh, I'm trying to add five positions right now because things are going so well at the launch fund. But you know what? I have a secret weapon and I'm going to share it with you. LinkedIn jobs. They're about to hit a billion users over at LinkedIn. So just think about all the insanely qualified people that are there looking for work. You just go post your role on LinkedIn and you will be 100% certain that you got access to the most qualified candidates. And guess what? First one's on us. That's right. First drinks on us. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and post your first job for free. You got nothing to lose. And that will give you that purple ring on your profile. You see that everybody's got the purple ring now. That means everybody in your network knows you're hiring, they click on it, and you'll get those friends of friends, right? Those are the really high quality leads that you want applying to your job because there's someone in your network who can vet them. So I did that for launch. And I do it for inside and we found so many amazing people at our company. When you think LinkedIn jobs, I want you to think better candidates faster. Let me say that one more time better candidates faster LinkedIn jobs will help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash twist that's linkedin.com slash twist to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply and for people who are not coders you you see experience this now when you're using notion uh, yes. or microsoft gmail. word or gmail it just yeah. here's the next possible words 
would love to and it's invite you to or whatever and it's studying what you've been writing emails about so it's ver it's precisely for you and it's based on the whole corpus of you know people writing in you know uh, on the open web so fascinating how much more impactful it is in coding right because uh coding's a higher value typically than what people are writing in email and and it's been harder to apply this technologies on code hmm. so it really took until gpt2 and gpt3 for this to actually become possible because we've had we've had these suggest su suggestion tools for a long time for natural language but not for code hmm. but once these models got big enough and intelligent enough now they're able to complete code because code needs to be structured needs to be parsed needs to be run needs to be correct hmm. whereas natural language doesn't have a lot of these properties now but but it doesn't stop there and i think that's useful and it really um made a lot of programmers a lot more productive uh but but typing is like perhaps 10 percent of what we do uh as programmers most of the time we're staring at error logs hmm. other times we, ha we have a crash in in production where we get an email we get a pm kind of coming to us and saying hey like you know the software's crashing you know fix that we get a bug whatever it is and this is, I think, where it gets really exciting because this is where we can start to get multiples more productivity. I think with a co-pilot interaction, at best, some people are saying it's 80%, making me 80% more productive. But can we get 2x, mm. 5x, 10x more productive? This is where leveraging AI to help you th through the entire software lifecycle mm. uh, comes in. And this is where Replit, I think, is very well positioned because... Replit is full, fully bundled environment. So from your first line of code to your first deployment to your scale deployment. So we take the entire software lifecycle and we package it in one place. And now we can inject AI exactly at the right places to be able to help you in this crucial moments when, when you get it, when you get this crash of production. Now, and the next so, stage after that, yeah. just okay. to mention the next stage after that is, is agents. And, you know, mm -hmm. agents are still primitive right now. But we, th there's a, let's define, there's a, that was exactly where I was going. So let's define an agent for the audience and how that might work. You know, if you were building, you know, Uber today, or you were building Airbnb today. Right. So, uh, the way we use AI today in this co-pilot fashion and this autocomplete fashion is that I am doing the driving as a human, mm. I am, uh, doing the thing. And there's something that's augmenting my behavior such that it's making it easier to code or type or do something. Agent it, it inverts that a little bit, and you give the agent one instruction, one higher level goal, and the agent is responsible for breaking down that task into subtasks and for going and executing those tasks in an autonomous fashion. And what that commits you to is that the agent needs to actually be able to recover from errors, it needs to be able to uh, recover from a lot of edge cases that you face in the real world, and you know, some people say, you know, talk about agents with a human in the loop, but for the most part, what we want is agents to be fully autonomous, to be able to do work on our, on our behalf. Um, and, and, you know, for example, to, I, I should be able to, you know, tell Siri, like a high level goal, such as, you know, m my wife and I, you know, today's our anniversary, um, date, and I want to go out to a nice restaurant. It should be able to figure out, okay, I need to go research nice restaurants in Palo Alto 
I need to figure out like the budget on those. I need to call them one by one and 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 get a reservation and then report back to my user what exactly happened and the flow that happened and whether there were errors or, or what have you. So this is where agents get a little more exciting than the way we're yes. using AIs today. And in the case of building a business, building a startup, uh, it could be, hey, I want to build a marketplace. And, oh, okay buyers and sellers take rate it would know a lot of these fundamental items and then it would know what kind of code oh you need a profile page oh you know wh what's on the profile page describe it oh it's a home okay what are you gonna do with the home sell it rent it you know uh do um you know home maintenance tasks you, you'd have a whole uh bevy of of possibilities that the agent would be then able to go build how, how far is that is that even on your roadmap to start thinking like that you're building an yeah, app and or, you're dealing with non-developers uh and you even think about that yeah yeah one milestone we're trying to hit this year is to be able to tell an agent i want like a login page or something like mm -hmm. that like just one feature that's very concrete that developers do every day Mm. And for that agent to be able to fork off your environment, which is very easy to do in Replit, and for you to be able to watch it and go and try to build that and run into errors and recover from those errors, and then come back to you with the code saying, here, I finished it. And then there's a recursive loop where you say, okay, this is good. This is not good. It's mm. sort of similar to how you're dealing with a junior engineer. Yeah. So let's try to automate that really simple, like junior engineer interaction uh, you have. And I think from there, it could progress really rapidly. The, the thing you talked about where I can tell it, go build me a marketplace startup, feels very far away. It feels, yeah. it feels probably five years away. Um, but who knows? I mean, the, the way these things have been moving is it's, you know, what I tell my team is that we just need to be very uh, reactive to the changes in the AI space. And we're, we're, we're at the bleeding edge of it, and we make a lot of the major, some some major contributions to the field as well. But uh, who knows? Like maybe there's an unlock later this year or next year that the vision that you just put out could be possible next year. But my estimation currently is that we're going to get asymptotically closer to that over the next five years. Yeah, the thing that's really obvious when you had user registration is, hey, like there are some best practices here. One of the best practices is uh, using a magic link, like uh, I think right. Slack was really pioneered, or maybe it was Craigslist before them uh, did that as well. Yeah. Um, phone number. Do you want to use Google, Facebook, Twitter, X, you know, whichever to do those logins? And so it's something you're uniquely qualified to do because you get to see, I don't know how many millions of developers, hundreds of, I would suspect hundreds of thousands of developers on Replit now. Millions millions of developers yeah. in Replit, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, you know, that that alone gives you an insight into, oh, yeah, people are doing the magic link thing. Oh, they are using phones. And, and everybody, also, yeah, go ahead. And also, we have the Bounties platform. I, I, I remember that you've also checked it out. Yeah, I did. Pretty amazing. Well, yeah, Explain the uh, Bounties program, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, because Replit just onboards this uh a huge number of people from all over the world onto programming. One of the things that I found challenging when I talked to, to these developers is that landing their first job is actually quite, mm. quite difficult because uh, people want experience and all of that. 
But a lot of these people, when you look at their profiles, when you look at their replica profiles, they're actually better than a lot of Silicon Valley engineers. So what is the best way to show that they're better is to create a platform where they have real work for real customers or real clients available on that platform. At the same time, they can make money and maybe that could be a, uh, a business for us that we could make money out of. But yeah. that's really not the priority here. The priority is to showcase that we have a huge number of developers around the world uh, that are you know AI powered now, and I can build amazing things really fast and really cheaply. Yeah, um, and so we put it out, and in a matter of months, it reached uh, a million annualized GMV. We we sort of, sort of hit on something. It's basically we had this backlog of of developers that are hungry to do work and show that they are able to do work. And that created this explosion. Yeah. And, and, surplus, and, and you have surplus cycles. There yes. are developers who have, you know, maybe they, they, it's a Saturday and, you know, whatever their plans fell through, they got four hours and you put up a little challenge and they're like, that's easy. I'll, I'll take that 500 free money. I'll pick it up off the ground. Um, yeah. One of the things that was surprising was um, I didn't expect like big tech employees to be engaged in that, but it, one of our biggest bounty hunters is uh, is this uh, SRE at, at, at VMware that does it on the weekends and on the plane and <laughs> it's a yeah. game for him and he's making all this all this money but for us it's also a, a very valuable source of data to be able to make our AI better as well like yeah. we you know w- when you're able to match uh, project description to output of work uh, you know we're going to be able to make the agent um Thing work a lot better and also we want the developers to the bounties developers and developers on replit to be able to use that to increase their earning potential and to become more productive so it is you know one thing from the start you know at replit we've we've been very clear on is that we're not one of these companies trying to build agi we're trying to build adi artificial developer intelligence Mm. we're trying to augment you as a developer as a solo entrepreneur as someone who wants to build a business online, someone who wants to participate in the global digital economy, we want to supercharge you such mm-hmm. that you, it feels like you have an army of developer developers working for you. Stop what you're doing right now. I got great news. .tech Domains is giving Twist listeners a new platform to show off their startups. And that platform is this podcast, This Week in Startups. It's a new segment we're calling Pitch JCal. I want you to go to startups.tech slash Jason, startups.tech slash Jason to apply. There's only one rule. You have to have a .tech domain name to get featured. This week, I received a great pitch from hivepower.tech. That's H-I-V-E power.tech, which you can see in the video right now if you're watching. Hivepower is a Swiss startup. They're working on transforming energy management and their software platform helps businesses optimize EV charging distribute energy more effectively and more energy prices have gotten out of control they're volatile so hive power is saving businesses money by optimizing energy efficiently like all these different times when you can get discounts on your energy it's a huge market and they got a great domain name check them out hivepower.tech and if you're interested in getting featured on this week in startups go to startups.tech slash jason and apply today that's startups.tech slash jason it's interesting. While you were talking, I was like, huh, I wonder if ChatGPT could actually, uh, you know, build a plan 
And so I asked ChatGPT, please build me a feature set for a modern day marketplace uh, for folks to rent vacation homes and cars. And I said, certainly. Here's the features. Put it. I I have in my instructions with ChatGPT four that I like things in tables with links. Yes. And it says, here's the feature <laughs> category, here's the feature description, here's the stakeholder, and here's your data source or API. User registration, enable users to create an account via email, social media, or Google. And to your point, you'll have that done by the end of the year. I actually believe you'll be able to do that. User profile, allow user to upload photos, ID, and basic information. Search engine, <laughs> with filters like location, price, rating, amenities, calendar availability, payment gateway, listing creation pricing engine <laughs> enable dynamic pricing based on demand location and time that feels like something actually a pricing engine could be something that could be built into replit uh inventory yeah. management uh, a review system that's it that's a layup star ratings also a layup dashboard giving administrators overview of bookings revenue fraud detection that would definitely i mean there's third-party services that do that you can plug in analytics third-party services i mean that's after one prompt you know, if we right. sat here and we started prompt engineering this and then connected it to Replit uh, a year from now, I don't know, maybe half this stuff gets done or at least some portion well, actually, of it. Actually, today, even Ghostwriter, I mean, I'll, uh, I can show you a, a quick demo of yeah. uh, what it looks like today. Um, so here, I just started uh, Node.js REPL, uh, mm. what we call projects. Uh, and, uh, and basically, I have just one file. You can start by writing code, but can also generate code. Uh, let's say, make a login page with Express.js. And it'll start writing the, the entire function for me. It's, mm. it's still not an agent in the way I described it because I'm looking at what it's doing and I'm reviewing mm. what it's doing. What we want is for it to actually be able to do all of that, run the code itself, mm. uh, be able to deploy the code and be able to get feedback on it. Mm. Uh, but for, you know, right now it just made this login page right here, right? Mm. And okay, it's a start and we can yeah. iterate on that from here. It can just say, let's, uh, I can right click edit code and just say, add some CSS to make it nicer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I can iterate, uh, with it, but we want to get to a place where it does that sort of iteration on its own. Yeah. Uh, it's and, pretty, yeah. pretty slick already. Yeah. Uh, when you think about it and you know there are so many problems in the world you know everybody gets to like oh it's going to replace developers it's like yeah until we have a solution for every problem that humans face uh i think developers are going to stay busy what right. this really means is the typical startup is going to release features faster and make them better uh continuously yes. and, and faster just like open source was a catalyst just like ids were a catalyst just like cloud was a catalyst Absolutely. all this stuff just makes everything go faster and the average app today compared to the average app just 10 years ago you know in the app store and the app store is only whatever number of years old it is now um maybe it's 15 years old when did the app store start 2007 or I think, 8 i think 2009 because 2009 you know, phone remember came out steve, jo steve jobs didn't want an app store he th thought the web would be enough of an app store yeah yeah not quite by the yeah. way this th we just added this feature to be able to deploy your app right from replit so so this means you're in competition with aws when you do this you'll be like a hosting company in addition yes. to yes yeah. our vision from the start is to do the end-to-end -end process hmm. 
And again, this is where we can do interesting things with artificial intelligence, such that the AI can deploy, the AI can figure out the errors in production and iterate on them as well. Um, but, you know, um, I think in the future, we might even partner with AWS. Right now, we've partnered with Google Cloud. So we're yep. building a lot of these features on, on Google Cloud. And I think there's space enough for, for a lot of players to, to compete. What we care about is really that polished end-to-end -end developer mm -hmm. experience. And we've seen no one do that. Everyone picks a niche to be really good at, and we want to be yeah. good at the end-to-end -end thing. I mean, eventually, you could be cloud-independent or multi-cloud. And yes. when you click deploy or you want to put it into production, yeah. you could they could compete for your business <laughs> it could right. give you three different prices for this right and you could list them in rank order of what it will cost to run these here right and, and then i believe there are you know I, I get pitched on this startup all the time hey we'll examine your cloud bill and we'll optimize it by putting you on you know i, I don't know if they call them second tier servers but maybe not as powerful uh servers and stuff like that uh that are unnecessary for your job and just optimize your costs uh, while not compromising your performance. Uh, all yeah, that's well, a possibility. Yeah, yeah, and and that's it. We got we got a we got a deploy going, and you get you get some nice analytics and logs and everything sort of built right in. Um, and you know that that deploy button could could also go to your VPS or to your internal deployment. I think once we go into the enterprise in the future, if they have on-prem thing, we could also package a container and put it on their on-prem as well. Does mean you compete with like um, GitHub and, and those kind of repositories now? And, or You know, uh, let me show you the community in addition to a lot of the bounty stuff that we talked about, which is here, you can see all the tasks you can, you can start doing. Um, there's also uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of apps inside the Repl community that you can check out, right? Like you can go to this app. It's called Oracle GPT. It's a chat assistant. I can go look at how the developer has built it. I can uh, run it, or I can fork it and have uh, and and change it. And so it adds a layer that GitHub never really added, which is how do you actually uh, how do you actually run this stuff. Mm. And not just view the code and download it locally, but I can actually bring it into my environment and mess with it and publish it. And, uh, and you know, we have this community where people vote on things and tip each other. Uh, and so it, it adds a layer that, you know, I think GitHub never really added. What about Hugging Face? Are, are they a competitor to yours now or a coexister? How do you look at Hugging face. I hear a lot of developers, you know, sort of yeah. starting there. Hugging face. I think they they're they're on Replit. They have they have some examples on Replit that they built, mm -hmm. uh, and you can like fork them and play with them. You know, Jason, the way we think about competition and the way we think about just the landscape in general is that we really want to be uh, the place where people create. And so, if you help people create, we want to partner with you. Mm. So, if you're hugging face and you're Helping people create uh, AI uh, by hosting models um, and by training models, then developers on Replit should be able to use those models right from Hugging Face. Mm. So, in a lot of ways, Replit becomes this positive sum playground for everyone to play in, and that's really our vision for for this company. Uh, and, and getting more people to become developers, 
and making it easy to onboard. Have you given thought to that? Uh, you know, I know you had this like great, like, I don't know if it was 30 days to learn Python or 100 days or whatever. Yeah, it's but, 100 yeah, days. Yeah. yeah, 100 days. Like, so we have it in Hindi too. Oh, wow. That's yeah. fascinating. You know, because yeah. when I went, I did the first couple of days, I was like, wow, this is incredible. It is literally walking me through it with a video with the code. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it's almost like a little bit of a game. Right? Is this working to getting more young people or even people who are transitioning into being a developer? Is it is it actually increasing the number of developers in the world? Or do you kind of think like some people do? Hey, developing is, you know, a certain type of person digs it and it's not for everybody yeah so i i think about it as sort of these concentric circles right where you know at the very inner part of the circle you have those let's call them platform developers you typically you're living in in silicon valley or you know or seattle and you're working at on aws or google cloud or one of these like you know hardcore kind of platform companies you're writing low-level code right then you have a lot of product engineers. Those product engineers are founders, are people working at startups, are full stack engineers. And I think that that's a lot more accessible than people think it is, mm. right? If you're a product engineer, you, you are basically, uh, your day-to-day -day job is waking up in the morning and translating some user demand or user story or something that a PM told you to do or a designer told you to do or you're a founder, you're trying to meet some, some demand in the market into code. And code is sort of incidental to your goal. Your goal is to put software out in the, into the world. Yes. Uh, and I think a lot more people can participate in that in a lot of different ways. One is we can make code more accessible and more learnable, and that's what mm. we're doing. Two, I think there's a lot, a lot of uh, opportunity for uh, AI to help with this, such as AI is writing the code for you. Yep. Three, I think some version of no code might work. I'm not a big fan of the way people are doing it right now because they're basically recreating the programming environment using blocks and things like that. And that's not very scalable. But I think there, someone will figure out a no-code environment that actually makes sense. And Interesting. That will, that so will let's, let's double click on the no-code piece. Yeah. The, it right now is somewhere between like uh, a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get type environment. You're dragging things around and then it abstracts the code and then it writes the code on the back end. You don't get to see it. Um, nor do you need to and th it seems like uh, and then there's like sort of scripting hey if this happens do this uh, and it's kind of light but it is building a whole facade on top of some code base yes is I, I guess how this is all working and so yes, you're, sort you're of. proposing what yeah so so the, the way it works is that they have these pre-programmed uh, visual components that you are kind of composing together broadly is how it works and you can double click on one of those components and edit some of its features or even write code and this is where you get into some low code platforms um the problem is that what you want out of your computing environment is to be turing complete mm. so turing completeness is the idea that um it's the idea of a universal computation is that the 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 computing machine can run any other program that any other computing machine can run, right? So this is a very technical concept, but it basically means that every programming language today that we have that's in use is Turing complete. So Turing completeness is a uh, necessity for this thing to actually encompass all sorts of features that you need in order to build a real world software. 
Mm. And most of these environments are not Turing complete. If they try to be Turing complete, it becomes really hard to manage. It becomes really wild. It's it's actually the visual components actually get into the way in the way of actually producing the software. So it's it's a scalability problem. So you end up either simplifying too much and you're not Turing complete, or if you want to be Turing complete, you run into a scalability problem. Mm. So that's really it's it's sort of a it's it, that's why you see a lot of these no code platform grow really fast and then they hit a ceiling, and then mm. they stop growing a lot as, even as a business. It's because um, the demand they can't they can't expand the demand much more than that because their users are hitting these ceilings with their products. You have heard me talk about my weight loss journey and the role that Supergut has played in it. Supergut is just an amazing product. They were a huge hit at the All In Summit. I love their bars. I love their shakes. In fact, here it is. I was just drinking this shake. My wife makes a beautiful shake for us every morning. I love the chocolate brownie bar. Mm. And they have unflavored prebiotic mix that you can add to anything. My wife puts it in my coffee. You know, she's trying to keep me healthy. She wants to keep me around for a little while. I can't blame her. I'm a fun time. There's a reason why Supergut is so good for weight loss, okay? The Supergut product, you may not know this, they mimic the effects of Ozempic by boosting your GLP-1 hormone. And this will help quell your hunger and it's gonna boost your metabolism. That's the combo you're looking for. Products taste great, tons of great flavors, strawberry, chocolate, all the stuff you love. But here's the thing, this is all proven scientifically. The Sultan of Science himself, David Freeberg, uh, is the co-founder of this company. They conducted a placebo-controlled clinical trial with Stanford. You may have heard of that university last year. And that's been published in the medical journal, Diabetes, Obesity, and Metabolism. The results, amazing. Participants lost weight, just like me. They lowered their blood sugar, and they improved their metabolic health. It also uh, helped with digestion. So it tastes great. It's going to help you lose weight. If you want to improve your gut health, you want to drop a few pounds, or you just want to feel sustained energy throughout the day do what i did go to supergut.com and use the promo code twist to get 25 percent off supergut.com use the promo code twist to get 25 percent off what a great deal so making coding um more like talking to the computer i guess is where this is going to end up and using a natural language known as english to program is how many people in the ai space have been proposing this will end up have you People used the code interpreter i have not you should check it out i think yeah. you would like it so yeah. chat gpt has this mode called code interpreter where you're yeah. talking to chat gpt but behind the scenes it's writing code and mm. running it to help yeah. you to help it answer questions yeah. um and so oh, I, I have used it yes i've uploaded yeah. like csvs to it and then asked the questions about the data that was uploaded because right. you can use it for that function as well Right. Yeah. And, and uh, that shows you the promise, right? I mean, yeah. there, there is something there. It still hallucinates a little bit and does come some, 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 some silly things, but it seems possible. And I think talking mm -hmm. to, you know, I, I, I've been uh, reading the new uh, Steve Jobs book, uh, Make Something Wonderful. And, oh, I didn't uh, know about that book. Who wrote that? Is it? So Laureen uh, Jobs uh, put together all of Steve's writings uh, for all his lives and in a, almost chronological way kind of lays out oh wow uh, his life story. it's amazing it's phenomenal um and uh oh, that's a free ebook look at this this is amazing i yeah stevejobsarchive.com yeah make something wonderful steve jobs in his own words wow it's available in apple books or you can just download it for free 
had no idea about this. Okay, so c- continue. What did you get out of it? I, I'm, a, I'm a, like a big student of, of computing history and Silicon Valley history because I think to, 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 to understand where we go from here, we have to understand the past and how we arrived here. There are a lot of amazing things about how we made computers and technology, but there are a lot of drawbacks as well. One of the drawbacks I'm trying to fix is that we've created a generation of computer consumers, not computer programmers and users, right? Think about how most people use computers today. It's basically a consumption device. You're watching TikTok and YouTube, and maybe it's a communication device. Maybe you're talking, texting. But the original vision for computers is that it augments our intelligence. It actually computes for us. And we've really lost a little bit of that. And so I think Steve Jobs was uh, phenomenal as, as, a, as a designer and entrepreneur uh, and really the GOAT in a lot of ways. But some of the decisions they made were obviously guided by this idea that people can't compute or people can't program. And actually, there's a line in the book that I found, which I kind of went looking for, which is initially they were having trouble explaining the value proposition behind the Apple II. Because you buy this thing and you open it up, it's just a terminal. You can't really, you don't know what to do with it. And you have to learn basic in order to program it. And what Steve Jobs arrived at is that actually people shouldn't learn how to program and we need to build UIs and GUI because people should just use computers as opposed to program computers. And that decision put us on this history path of actually users and programmers are separate mm. instead of instead of being one. And I think there's a vision of the future that's a lot more exciting where anyone can be a creator, any, anyone can use computers to their full power. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you see this in generative AI, right? So we've been talking about coding this whole time, but, you know, if you wanted to be an artist and make a logo, you wanted to make the next logo, speaking of Steve Jobs, you know, this is something that you went to art school for a long time. But if you start talking to Stable Diffusion and some of the other tools out there, Dolly, and you said like, hey, what are the most iconic logo, or you asked ChatGPT, what are the most iconic logos of all time, then you start using Stable Diffusion to make something, you know, just based on the creativity in your words, you might start to find things or ideas that you wouldn't have thought of. This is where like the writer strike when you when you look at the writer strike, and they're saying stop, we want to ban chat gpt i'm looking at it and i'm like no you actually don't you're, you're all using it anyway um and if you go into any of these language models and you start just brainstorming ideas it's just a more efficient way than reading 10 books uh you know about science fiction let's say you can just see which you know tickles your fancy uh in terms of ideas and it's going to come up like you said with hallucinations or bad ideas but that's how you get to great ideas <laughs> you get through all the bad uh, ones right and that's right and you have these jumping off points where you know, something sparks your creativity. Oh, yeah. What if Deckard is a replicant? Oh, that's a great yeah. interesting idea. You know, in Blade Runner, like, oh, wow, spoiler alert. Um, you know, these ideas typically come because people are brainstorming, smoking a joint or drinking some beers or going for a right. walk. And, you know, something just pops into their head. Like, it's almost like the hallucination of these language models is a feature. It's a feature. It's like mimicking these weird moments when people are tripping out, uh. you know, from their cold bath or from taking mushrooms or going on a hike or taking a shower, whatever, whatever got their creative juices flowing. I think that 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 might be what's literally happening is we're, you know, as we recreate this intelligence, 
starting to realize like maybe it's not that unique you know how our brains work maybe there's some magical aspects to it but i almost feel like we're figuring out how our own brains work when we build these things one of one of the reasons i got into computers uh as as a kid was because the you know i i've been always into computers but the thing that really attracted me to become a programmer and eventually want to be able to do ai is because i wanted to understand the human mind like it was like it's one of those questions that i can't stop thinking about what makes us us what makes us thinking beings and i think once you understand all these things you kind of start to potentially understand the meaning of things which is have a very existential drive in me to actually try to understand you know what makes humans humans and and i think there's the there's what's called in philosophy the hard problem of consciousness Mm -hmm. we can't really probe consciousness because it is inabsorbable from a scientific point of view you can have a complete description of the brain but you can't really understand what's going on inside whereas now that we have these machines we can actually try to probe them from the inside in, in an interesting ways uh actually a lot of uh, neuroscience now is making its way back into AI. And one of the ways people are like playing with AIs is what happens if we turn off this neuron? What happens if we mm. turn off this layer? What happens? Yeah. And what is the, you know, I, I think they're called ablations. It's kind of like you're, you're running this process to be able to judge performance based on different, different ways the neural network is structured. And I think you're right. That starts to give us some, understanding of how intelligence works yeah and i think that's really exciting and it'd be great it'd be really great if philosophers if a lot of people from the liberal arts um side of of humanity is actually interested in, in these things because that's that's an exciting moment it's kind of disheartening that a lot of artists are f- offended by it or or are not really excited by it but hoping they would come around to it yeah and we have some corollaries in psychology and brain science. You know, you have these, uh, what do they call it? Split hemispheres where people have had their hemisphere split or, you know, twin studies. You, you have all these like interesting, you know, people have different damage that has occurred to their brain tragically. And we started to figure out just through those biological circumstances, you know, some of the oddities of the human brain and consciousness and how we perceive the world. Right. Um, have you seen some of have you seen this um really wild video where you know if, if you have epilepsy one way to cure it is you you sever the hemispheres yeah uh and so that way the epilepsy doesn't travel back and forth and there was a video on youtube about a guy with a severed hemisphere and they were trying to kind of probe and understand like what happens to humans when we actually sever the light left and right uh, sections of our brains and and the, the experiments were fascinating so basically they gave each eye different d- video mm-hmm. feed um i think the 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 right eye is connected to the left hemisphere and the left uh eye is connected to the right hemisphere one of them is the language center i, I forgot which yeah. but you basically give an instruction to the non-language center like go to this side of the room and grab this other thing and you don't give that instruction to the other side the, the side is able to talk Mm. And you actually, the, the, the subject actually stands up and walks over to that side of the room and the experimenters will ask him like, why did you go there? Huh. And he would hallucinate. 
because Wild. he he did he doesn't have in that side of the brain that talks mm. doesn't have the information <laughs> to be able to say i was told to go there and so he hallucinates oh i want to go to the bathroom yeah and that's really fascinating that's wild yeah he's basically taking the next guess like we were talking about with autocomplete like why yes. would i get up well <laughs> the bathroom's in that direction and so that's the next possible word you know i'd love to invite you to dinner the movies right. like what are the possibilities <laughs> here could be getting a a glass of water i could be going to the bathroom it's probably one of those right. uh two yeah it's it's really fascinating how quickly this is all uh happening i'm curious your thoughts on like what are you seeing internally with your team I, I don't know how many developers you have on your team but you got a front row seat you guys are obviously uh, all true believers in using you know these ghost riders and co-pilots and and using AI, wh what has the last year been like in terms of your team's productivity and, and how much are you embracing AI and running Replit? You know, the, again, on an individual developer perspective, we see our developers are a lot more engaged, a lot happier and a lot excited mm. about writing code because, you know, it just removes a lot of the drudgery of, of writing code. On a kind of a company scale level, I, I, I like I don't think we've seen a huge productivity improvement. Hmm. And again, that's because the thing that is lost between actually writing the code and, and actually deploying a product is everything that happens in between that AI hasn't touched yet. Hmm. And this is why we're really excited about it. Because even if you make the individual developer slightly more productive by you know making it easier to generate code, it still doesn't translate you know, very well for it to be perceptible from a CEO point of view. Um, in, in a solo entrepreneur perspective, it, it 100% is. And what we're seeing of our customers, I mean, we, we, we have um, this, uh, this uh, guy on Twitter, actually, he built a 250k ARR business on Replit, and he didn't know how to write any code coming into this. He just used mm -hmm. ChatGPT and Replit and Ghostwriter and other tools to kind of figure out how to write the code himself. He doesn't even know how to use Git. Mm. And he built this huge business uh, for himself doing that. And obviously, that would not be possible without AI. We're seeing mm. all these stories of solo entrepreneurs or small companies getting a lot of benefit out of this. But for it to actually move um, the GDP or even smaller move, move like productivity of the tech industry as a whole, there's still a lot more work to be done. So people enjoying the job more maybe some products are shipping faster are you seeing that yet the products are shipping faster or maybe not we were known for being super fast already yeah. as a, as a company velocities and that's over yeah. there yeah so uh you know it wasn't that uh perceptible there's definitely it definitely feels like we're prototyping things a lot faster ah and there's there's a lot of prototypes flying more around shots on goal maybe more shots on goal that's right Mm. And, you know, instead of getting in a meeting and talking about an idea, you get actually a prototype pretty quickly. Oh, uh, that's very well. See, this is so powerful that maybe we're like, you and I are agreeing so quickly on it. But it, it's that's super profound. If people were coming to the meeting, instead of saying we should build this or saying I built this, and yes. then two other people say I built this. Well, now you as the CEO or the management team, are going to look at the three ideas and say, Okay, let's test this one, then we'll test this one. Yeah. And, and then our maybe designers. we'll test this one. Yeah. Our designers are shipping these replit links between each other. And I see 
a designer, instead of waiting for the engineer to do this thing, they'll just like mm. post like, here's, here's the new replit link for, for my change, for my CSS mm. change or my visual change. Interesting. So definitely seeing that velocity of ideas and prototype uh, inside the company. It's almost like if we were running a restaurant, you would be, you know, having people instead of like coming and say, hey, I want to try a duck dish or whatever, they should be coming and be like, here's the finished dish, or here's like a approximation of my new deconstructed, you know, Peking duck. And then everybody just tastes it. And yeah, you know what, yes. we should keep pulling that string and see where it leads us. I think that's like, if you think about the nature of startups and finding product market fit and product velocity, that's a really a game changer. Um, that's perhaps more important than shipping fast to your point is, you know, the other day I was talking to um, Jack Dorsey, he came and visited Replit, he's, uh, he's a Replit user, he's really excited about it. And he said something that in the early days of Square, every time they wanted to trial a new design, they would mm -hmm. have to ship the design to China to, to you know, fabricate it and come back. And then they started investing in, in 3D printing. Mm. And that increased the product velocity so much such that you know designs were changing every day and they were yep. they were getting the right thing faster and he equated what we're doing to software as to 3d printing yeah that makes total sense and if you think well like he's been such a great entrepreneur i just had rule off on the from sequoia on the program and they started with you know small to medium-sized businesses even people in flea markets just you know, being able to take credit cards for the first time instead of cash and sending people to a cash machine with a $7 fee in some bodega or something to like, yeah, you can just take any credit card um, and fire that up. And then he was so bold. He's like, you know what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to create a second product inside this company just for consumers cash app, boom. And now cash app is this gigantic business. It's huge. Um, well, he, he's the third business, uh, Jason, that nobody's yeah. talking about their Bitcoin business. Yeah, explain. Yeah, the, the last quarter... I think they saw $3 billion in revenue. Obviously, it's still not monetizable revenue, but $3 billion in Bitcoin volume, yeah, volume, right? which is, which is wild. Um, and, and now they're building uh, their TBD product, which is still, still TBD in progress. But the idea is to just make it such that, you know, you can move Bitcoin across the globe really easily. And mm. so that Square and Cash App can sit on this Bitcoin rails and be accessible all over the globe. And I think that's a really huge vision. Yeah. And that really is like shots on goal, you know, and uh, that's the thing that's going to just keep increasing uh, with tools. Like that, that's what gets me excited about technology. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the tech industry got a little boring towards the, the last uh decade towards the last part of the last decade last where, part of the cycle yeah like 2017 yeah. 18 19 everybody's yeah, yeah, making 19, like you know like the next app that's already existed 20 times yeah you or see the next SaaS, yeah SaaS next SaaS thing. thing um and it became very formulaic and i think now we're back into a period of innovation where we're going to actually be able to lift the the common human being and be able to supply them with tools and intelligence and computation and, and make really try to make the world a better place and kind of go back to this roots of like, you know, it just became cliche almost to say you were here to make the world a better place. But I think that's really why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing at Replit. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's so wild when a new paradigm shift happens now that I've lived through so many of them. Like, I, I, I expect them to happen. And then I just 
understand how they kind of go through the hype cycle and everything. You know, whether it's mobile or cloud or crypto and now AI. And it's really like a chance to take things that exist in the world already and just make them phenomenally better because this new platform technology technique, however you want to frame, you know, cloud computing, et cetera. And you, you think about something like YouTube, and I was talking to Roloff about this as well in this episode that's coming out on this week in startups where you know, he did that YouTube investment. And you know, nobody wanted to invest in YouTube, everybody thought it was stupid. People who had a lot of experience like Mark Cuban, were like, Yeah, I don't think Netflix and YouTube are going to work because it's going to flood the internet with traffic that it can't handle. And then, you know, the blind spot was I think, storage had gotten so much cheaper in cloud computing, and then bandwidth had, was getting more efficient compression algorithms were more efficient, that actually you could let people upload videos and get as many views as they want. And just for a couple of low dollar CPM, be able to actually break even and then eventually make money, right? right. Even with the amount, think about the just insane amount of uploads that happened on YouTube and, and how that was burning just mountains of cash, mountains of cash being burned for storage for Dropbox and for for uh, at least Dropbox had, you know, a paid version and a cap, but YouTube didn't have a cap, you just keep uploading videos. It was a really sort of dangerous, crazy prospect. Now you look at AI. Um, you know, it's like a, in Hollywood, there's a piece of software called Final Draft. I don't know if you're aware of that, where like people write screenplays in Final Draft. Mm, and, yeah. uh, you know, we had a startup um, make a version of Final Draft. It's called cyberfilm.ai. Uh, and uh, they have this tool called Saga, and you can go make your own uh, screenplay. Uh, cool. And then make, what do you call them? Uh, Storyboards and stuff like that. I told nice. them you should call it storyboards. And like somebody who feels intimidated by writing a screenplay can be like, I want to write something like Natural Born Killers or Reservoir Dogs, but I want it to have an Indian cast and I want it to take place in India and I want it to revolve around this or that and you know, kind of adapt it, make it your own. I want to make a sci fi version of Reservoir Dogs. Like, oh, I'm down with that. Yeah, make me a sci fi version of Reservoir Dogs. Let's you know, start your creative juices or whatever. And that'd be fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of actually, sci-fi pretty, sort of dog, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what I, I mean, you look at Star Wars, it was a sci fi version of, you know, Kurosawa's work, you know, and samurai right. films and stuff like that. Yes. So, you know, why not? Let's, let's go, right. And it's like a chance to just start again, over again, yeah. with this new technology, you know, and you start happening. I, on think, mobile I too. think Hollywood is getting remade from the ground up with this with this technology i i just uh uh i just in, invested in this uh, yc company called kino ai mm, and what are they doing what do they do you know i i i'm gonna explain in my own words because they'll probably use different words but they actually make all the video archive at all these big studios mm. usable because they index them and they put a search engine on top of them Amazing. and they index every frame and so you can go and search for uh, you know, every explosion and, uh, and whatever studio, uh, and look at all the footage they had. Yeah. And coming into this software, media, media asset management. So like CNN yeah. has all this footage from, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper show, you know, right. and they may not have ever used, they may have used 10% of it, but the other 90% are sitting it's not utilized. on a hard drive. It's not utilized. Uh, yeah. Do I you know Adam Curtis? No. Adam Curtis is a really awesome a BBC uh, documentary filmmaker. Oh, yes. He, Century of the about. Self, yep. uh, hypernormalization. Hypernormalization, Basically, I know, yeah. 
Yeah, basically, this guy goes into the BBC archives, sits there for a year, and looks at a bunch of footage, and then cuts together a story uh, with the voiceover and creates this amazing documentaries. And so imagine all this footage could be now accessed and indexed and repurposed and probably using generative AI also completed and remixed and, and all of that stuff. So I think it's, it's really exciting what's, what's going to go on if they, yeah. if they will adopt it. If they won't, they will get disrupted. Mm. If you haven't seen Hypernormalization, it is a trippy movie. Uh, all this then, stuff is trippy. By the yeah. way, what, one uh, about our industry that... Uh, that really uh, is is not people have not really seen it. I think is is it by all, him? But yeah, all watched over by machines of love and grace. And it talks about early optimism in, in Silicon Valley. Talks about the cybernetic movement mm. and about the the ideas they had about how to structure society and some of the cults they made and and all that stuff. It's a really interesting documentary. And the name of that one. Is all watched over by machines, all watched over by machines of love and grace. All watched over by machines of love and grace 2011. Wow, I didn't know about that one. I'm gonna watch that. That's that's a perfect one for me to watch. Yeah, I mean, are we talking about like the history of this, like the technology industry? These, these guys were all on acid and mushrooms and coming out of the, the hippie zippy movement, and, and they really were opening the doors of perception, and then they were with computers at the same time yeah and you know imagine you're tripping on acid and you, you know you're also like using new technology for the first time you're like hey i have some interesting ideas here we should make yeah. a mouse it's like what, a mouse what <laughs> yeah it's like a little thing you move it around it moves the point or like literally a lot of these innovations happen from 60s radicals you know um you know coming up with really interesting ideas of what could happen i mean steve Jobs said that was a major part of his journey was you know opening up the doors of perception I, I don't know the full extent of his drug use or tripping but it was not insignificant from what i understand it was not uh there's a guy called bill atkinson who was part of the original mac team and he built uh the system called hypercard which is in a lot of yeah. ways is, is early replit um and we actually talked to him at, at replit we uh and he he lives uh, he lives here and um yeah he just talked about how it all started with a trip yeah uh, i'm reading his page right he said he had an acid trip and he built yeah. hypercard that yeah. is hilarious <laughs> i actually didn't know that you should have him on i think he would come yeah that would be dope um uh i remember hypercard it was like here's how to org it's like kind of like a database and here's how to organize information it kind of had the concept of hyperlinks in it too right like you could yeah. jump from card to card and yeah yeah, this idea was in the air. There was actually like the web ended up winning, but the web was actually the least sophisticated of all the different ideas uh, around hyper hypermedia at the time. Yeah, people forget the, even the term hypermedia, but this idea that in a way there was a very cool piece of software called the brain, um, and it was mind mapping software. And if you go to thebrain.com, it still exists. And uh, I remember knowing the founders from the 90s. And the product was really simple. Um, here, I'll show you. Uh, this was like a really trippy piece of software. And I used it for years. I wish I had mine because you would basically, yeah, it would make a mental map. You see it there on the screen? Yeah. And, you know, AI 
would do a really wonderful job of this of just taking our conversation here. And then any other conversation happening on podcasts. And if we hit on hypercard or hypermedia making jumps between all the pockets, it'd be a great startup, by the way, you yeah. just take all the podcasts in the world and make a, a brain map of them. And the idea here was people with quick keys and Shenny Jardin and I used to play with the software and we would sit and work and put it up on the screen when we had ideas for conferences and stuff like that. And we'd make these maps where you would jump from like product design and then you click on something over here and click on something over here and it would just load web pages associated with each of the neurons if you think about this like a neural net or your brain and it's kind of forgotten mind mapping but jerry not jerry colonna jerry mikowski from lease 1.0 which was esther mm. dyson's newsletter jerry mikowski had kept creating jerry mikowski's brain um and uh he would publish it publicly of all the things that were in his brain which is just a mind map you know, uh, th there was a recent resurgence around uh, Rome, Rome research, yes, uh, backlinks and things like that. But uh, and, and they're great, and these softwares are are continuing to develop and and get better. But one thing that I found unattractive for my usage is how laborious it is. Like how I have to create these backlinks, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to do like you know double brackets to create a new topic, yes. and then you, you have to do all of that. I'm like. Just do it for me. <laughs> just use yeah, well, GPT. I mean, the the co-pilot should be doing this. Like you're yeah. going to be better at it than I am. And you, right. you just look at this here. It's like, this is Jerry Mikowski's brain. I don't know if he keeps up with this, but it's like news about using my brain, using starting points and understanding Jerry's brain, uh, beginners, whatever. Here you can use Jerry's brain, uh, getting started points, uh, big questions. Okay. I don't know what's in Jerry's brain around big questions, but that seems interesting. That, that's Challenges for interesting. kids. You know, and all these things would be, uh, I, I don't even know if this works anymore, but he, uh, you could see like you could jump off on all, it was almost like his bookmarks and stream of consciousness. Mm. Um, really interesting. Yeah. People out there, founders, like we'll back your startup, make something interesting like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, th this idea of being able to generate a map directly out of a conversation mm. s seems like a no brainer. Someone should mm. go build that. Oh, you know what? Look, it just did it. It, it must have been his brain is so big that it wasn't working. And I just assume it was loading. It was loading. Look, I clicked on different types of capitalism. And he has like climate capitalism, clean capitalism, coin flip capitalism, cognitive capitalism, uh, types of democracy. And Let's cap. go. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, uh, you know, like the this. cool thing about this is like his grand grandchildren could actually like instantiate this in some kind of mm. like AI that can talk to you and actually be able to talk as if it's Jerry and mm. in a way that creates something that could outlive you that could, you know, create your wisdom, um, encapsulate your wisdom for people to see in the future. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it'd be when Neuralink comes out and you can actually, put these categories together and it just your brain kind of maps itself automatically i mean scary but it's definitely the possibilities there all right listen i could talk to you for hours and i did yeah. again yeah. uh everybody if you're interested go to replit if you want to post some bounties and have it done quick cheap faster better cheaper you know it's very few things that are faster better cheaper and if you're not using replit's bounty program or their ghostwriter you're a dummy
this is how your startup could go at least 50% faster. So instead of just like hiring a bunch of offshore developers, nothing wrong with that, or, you know, sitting there wondering when you're going to get this uh, latest bit of code or feature done, put it up on the bounty program, see how you do. I think you're going to do Or go learn how to code. Or learn how to code, right? Everybody go learn how to code. I mean, I got three kids. I got, I was like, <laughs> literally, I was like, oh my God, if I go down this rabbit hole, this is going to be 20 hours a week. No, no, no. I need to sleep. I need to spend more time <laughs> with my kids. I got the guilt trip like, oh, this is like some crazy video game that's going to take over my life. And, and you got you got three podcasts and, and all that. Yeah, I get two podcasts yeah. and yeah. I'm trying to get the podcast to be less per week, but with um, even better guests. Like I was doing the news every day and like I was really getting into it, but then I was like, you right. know what? The news is transient and I'm not enjoying it as much. And so I really got focused on. Oh, you stopped that news uh, thing. I do like yeah. news once a week yeah. on All In. And then I do a little bit of news. I'll do a news program on This Week in Startups. But instead of doing news every day, I was like, let's just get, you know, three times a week, you know, legendary or emerging founders. And then one day a week do the news, right? And then yeah. it's maybe a little bit of a better balance. But I also have to enjoy doing the pod and like talking to you and then just jumping off points and talking about the future and then meeting new entrepreneurs. That's really the heart and soul of this week in startups. And I kind of reverted it back uh, to also for my energy, you know, like I have to yeah. want to come do this and we're at 1800 episodes. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to 2000 if I'm not super compelled by the conversation, I need to be compelled by the conversation. So you, you got to, you know, that's, that's an interesting, I don't know if it's about getting older, but I started reasoning a lot more from this point of view of like, do I want to do this for 10 years? Mm -hmm. uh, right. Yep. And, and I, a lot of decisions that wrap up become a lot easier because I'm like, Oh, I want to build this company forever for as yeah. long as I can do that. If I want to do that, I want to make decisions that optimize for the long term. And there are things that you will get pleasure from, and then things that you will consider chores, and then things that you will consider painful. And yeah. when it's something that delights you, you run to it. I couldn't wait to get on the call with you. When it's yeah. things that you don't like, you avoid them. And then it's chores, you do some combination of avoiding or doing them poorly. or And that's where like, being a great manager is just hiring people. You know, if you're a founder, who look at your chores, or things you hate, as the things they love and they run towards right. and they get joy from. So like, I have that's people right. who get joy from, you know, you know, managing complex operational processes, and that gives them fulfillment, mm -hmm. God bless them. Not me, but there are people who love ops, and they just thrive in ops, or people love Absolutely. sales, you know, and I, yeah. I think you gotta also like, optimize for you wanting to get to the office every day and, and you know, get on slack every day and enjoy it. Right? So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Life is short. Hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you all next time. Bye bye.